Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. We have spent the last three Sundays looking at the longest chapter in the Bible. Anybody can tell me which chapter that is? Give yourselves a hand, okay? I'm very impressed at your, that some are tuned in. Yeah, 176 verses of the most beautiful Hebrew poetry with the Word of God as its central theme. And uh, for the last few Sundays, Pastor Patrick uh, was our opening batsman on this psalm. Shared a beautiful message on uh, the comfort, uh, the theme of comfort in the psalm. And then I came in and we looked at how the psalm, uh, you know, focuses on the word of God as a precious gift and priceless treasure. Then last week, memorable message, Pastor Jacob talked to us about how the word of God is a lamp unto our feet, light unto our path. Today, it's a long psalm which is why we devoted four Sundays to it. We conclude our study of this great psalm as we focus on a theme which runs right through scripture, but which is highlighted sharply in this psalm. What this theme is will be apparent to you as I run through uh, a certain phrase which appears over and over again in the English Standard Version of the psalm. At least 11 times you find the use of this phrase. And I'm going to run through it very quickly. Uh, and the verses are indicated alongside each of these powerful declarations. Beginning at verse 25, it's repeated in verse 107. Give me life according to your word. By your precepts you have given me life. Verse 93. Give me life according to your rules, verse 156. Give me life in your ways. In your righteousness, give me life, verse 40. According to your justice, give me life. Your promise gives me life. Give me life according to your promise. In your steadfast love, give me life. Give me life according to your steadfast love, 159. So we see 11 times. This cry from the heart of the psalmist as he recognizes this truth, this fact that is the theme of this message that God's word is life-giving. God's word is life-giving. In uh, thinking of this theme, the most obvious question is why do we need life? When do we need life? We're living now, aren't we? So what is this talk of life? Uh, you know, sometimes in casual conversation where somebody shares with you their, uh, you know, how they are either struggling with some problem. In some cases, it seems trivial. And you look at them and say, hey, man, get a life, right? Here, the psalmist is saying in the same tone that God's word seeks to give us depth of quality of life. And we need that because, we need life because all around us we see 
death. And I'm not just talking about funeral pyres, cemeteries and caskets. I'm talking about the stench of death all around us in terms of the human predicament. Life as we see it. We referred to it earlier in the service. Natural disasters, deadly diseases on one hand, things which are not within our control. On the other hand, smell of death, that is the result of human choices. The impact of corruption, rape, murder, cutthroat competition, betrayal. Uh, 15th of August, we had a beautiful day of prayer. I, those of you who were here know uh, uh, what it was like. But among other things we prayed for, it was beautifully planned. Pastor Krishna was excellently done. Uh, but towards the end of our prayer time, Pastor Cynthia, I think uh, there were several ladies, Sister Nevelyn, Sister Monica, with broken hearts shared some of the pain that the weakest members of our society, children and especially marginalized women, face. And uh, it was hard not to be moved. Perhaps you know this, but do you realize in addition to the usual trafficking which is sordid in itself, there are women who are actually being trafficked for their skin. Babies being literally farmed for sexual exploitation. Smell of death, stench of death. The Bible is not just a book about positive talk. You know, if you're looking for, uh, what is the word, these motivational seminar, Bible does have some stuff, but that's it's not essentially just about you know, shallow motivation. The Bible, on the other hand, is brutal in this portrayal of the human predicament, brutally honest. And in describing the human predicament, the Bible both describes the symptoms as well as the root cause. And you'll find it in many places. But let me just give you one illustration where a broken-hearted prophet Isaiah, speaking the words of God to his people, he says this in Isaiah 59. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Bam! That's the root. And because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then give birth to sin. Does it sound familiar? Sounds like he's talking about the times in which we live. Verse 9. So there is no justice among us. And we know nothing about right living. We look for light but find only darkness. We look for bright skies but walk in gloom. Our courts oppose the righteous. And justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. This is not a column from yesterday's newspaper. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking prophetically about the times in which he lived. Not much has changed, has it? Yes, beloved, we do live in a fallen world, a messed up and broken world. Not only is the world messed up and broken, so are we. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is a short, honest book where one of the richest and wisest men on the face of the earth places life and examines it in the laboratory. 
And among his findings, this is what he says in verse, chapter 7, verse 20, about the human heart. He says, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. It's the same truth that is echoed in the New Testament in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.10 when he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And if you read the rest of the verses, verses 11 onwards, he quotes many, many snippets of Old Testament truth where the same truth is hammered. Psalm 119 recognizes this truth in a stark reality. This is how he puts it, the writer of Psalm 115, in verse 25 and verse 37. He says, my soul clings to the dust. I'll explain what this is. This means in a moment. Give me life according to your word. And he goes on to say in verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. My soul clings to the dust. What does that mean? You remember God had cursed the earth because of man's sin. And in the course of his declaration had said this. Dust you are and to dust you will return. Here is the meaning. Human beings. We human beings. Tend to cling to dust. Our eyes. As the psalmist says in verse 37, tend to focus on worthless things. And while things like pornography are included, it's not restricted to that kind of worthless stuff. Worthless things, material possessions. How people climb after status and position. And climb sometimes on one another, even friends and relatives. How people boast about the car they drive. What is it after all? A well-organized piece of metal. As four wheels takes you from point A to point B, the rest is just sheen and polish. The clothes we wear, and we want people to notice. Sin and brokenness, the dust that we cling to. Dragging us daily towards death. And of course, the challenge is, we know they are worthless, right? There are moments like this in the presence of God, when we see what is of worth, we see what is precious. The glitter of the real diamonds and pearls of eternal value. We say, Lord, I want them. And we walk out on the street, we turn the television, we go into a certain crowd, and it's dust all over again. And Paul describes this human predicament in Romans 7 in such stark honesty. And even we as spiritual believers have to admit this struggle sometimes. If Paul had it, it's okay to have this sometimes. What does he say? He says, verse 18 of Romans 7. Read it with me, please. Read it with me if it's your experience. If you say no, then you're welcome not to read it, okay? I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, 
but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Which is why I call sin the death trap. The death trap. Why don't we have life like God meant us to have it? Sin. Sin is the death trap we need to escape. What is the remedy for death, the death trap? Well, friends, what else do we have? Who else can we run to but God, the life source? If sin is the death trap, the source of death, God is the only true life source. In the creation account of Genesis chapter 1, we have described how God created life. It's a beautiful picture that the Spirit of God is hovering, moving over the primordial waters. And the picture in the original language is that of a, of a mother bird incubating its eggs or covering its young ones. But the Spirit of God broods over the waters. The Spirit of God broods over the waters and then God speaks. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. And it's through the work of the Spirit and the power of His Word that creation comes into being. The following chapter, Genesis 2-7, we see something similar but unique. When God decides to create human beings, He uses a special act of creation. And this is how it is described. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. The Hebrew word for breath is exactly the same as the word used for spirit, ruach. And we see here again how God his creative work is through his breath. He breathes life into the dust. Now here's the thing, friends. Of course, God is the only one who can create something out of nothing. And I mean nothing. Think hard. Look around you. Have you ever seen anything made out of nothing? No one has that power, friends. Only God does. The greatest inventor, the greatest scientist, the greatest chef can only use pre-existing material. Only God can take nothing and make something. And he does it through the power of the Spirit and the power of his word as they go hand in hand in any act of God's creation. These two must go together. So when we speak of God as the source of life, we're looking at both his word and his spirit. We have many illustrations of this throughout scripture, but I want to focus on one more in the book of Ezekiel. And the context is the children of Israel are in exile in Babylon. 
the nation of Israel is dead. First the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom are conquered. First by Assyria, then by Babylon. And in a final wave of conquest, not only is the kingdom conquered, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is raised to the ground, and the people of Israel are scattered. The nation is dead. So in this context, Ezekiel describes how the Spirit of God leads him to a valley filled with dry bones. Okay, it's a valley of bones, dry bones. Everything is dead. And then the Spirit of God asks him to prophesy, to speak God's word. Let's read it. If Welcome to join me as I read from verse 7 onwards. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Can you imagine? What a, okay, what a sight. Try and visualize it. Okay. Bones coming together. Okay. But now, the bones have come together. and The bodies have been formed. No breath. Verse 9, God tells him, He commands him to prophesy again, saying, Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Notice, God tells him to prophesy, and then the breath comes. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Please watch this very carefully, okay? See the explanation. Then he said to me, who? God says to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut out off. Why? Because the nation is dead. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Wow. I want you to just let the words of that prophecy sink in, friends, because there are several Levels of interpretation. First, what Ezekiel sees, God's spirit, breath, working together with God's word, the prophetic word, coming together in this mighty work of God, in raising a vast army out of dry, dead bones. And what is the first interpretation? It directly refers to it's a prophetic prediction of the coming back to life of the dead nation of Israel. And you can look at the history books. It's an unparalleled historical miracle. Never before in the history of the world has a nation which has ceased to exist for almost 2,000 years been rebirthed. Look through the history books. Can you suddenly imagine a nation of Babylon being created? It can't happen. Can you suddenly imagine the Mauryan Empire re-emerging? Well, the emergence of Israel in 1947 was a fulfillment 
of the prophecy of Ezekiel. Incidentally, let me quickly say, that doesn't mean God gives a blanket sanction to everything that happens in Israel today or everything that the Jews do, okay? That's not the point. Here we're talking about a historical prediction which comes to pass. That's the first immediate implication of this prophetic word. But there's a wider implication. And that is what the Holy Spirit wants us to hear today in the light of Psalm 119. What Ezekiel is doing is pointing to the nature of God. This is our God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. This is taken straight from Romans 4 verse 17. And the context is, old Abraham and old Sarah, whose bodies were dead. And God waits for their bodies to be dead. Before birthing a nation from Sarah's womb. Our God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Here's the application, friends. Because he is that kind of God. Whatever situation you're facing today that seems dead. The sickness, the crisis. This is our God. He can bring dead things back to life. Why dead things back to life? Things that are not, he can bring them out of nothing and make them happen. This is how God calls into being things that were not as though they were. And this is why the psalmist here in 119 is crying out to God for life. He knows this. He knows this is the nature of God. And so he appeals to the nature of God. He says, in your steadfast love, give me life. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O oh Lord. According to your justice, give me life. If you're going through injustice right now, and that is the obstacle to your happiness, give me life. Give me justice. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Sometimes we don't know what is good for us. Sometimes we don't know exactly what the future happiness should comprise of. We say, God, I trust your love. Give me life. Give me life. Give me life. The only answer, the only escape from the death trap of sin is the source of life himself. You must cry out to him for life. But as we continue through the psalm, let's, how, does, how does God answer the psalmist's cry for life? The same way he will answer your cry and my cry for life, through his word. Through his word. The word that brought creation into existence. The word that made those dry bones come to life and rise and become a mighty army. And the psalmist Recognizes this because even as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, 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 his prayer contains the answer. For he says, Behold, Lord, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. You see, friends, there's a very important truth that's wrapped up in these verses. 
and that is this when god wants to respond to your cry my cry for life life in all its fullness his word and spirit work together they are inseparable hear these words of jesus where he makes this absolutely clear in john 663 let's read it together what gives life is god's spirit human power is of no use at all the words i have spoken to you bring god's life giving spirit you see friends there are many situations in life to which you can work out solutions without god's help right there are people out there who do it all the time you have illness there are medicines there are surgeons there are hospitals business problems there are experts who can give you advice there are moments however in our journey when you face the insurmountable roadblock a short while ago someone was telling me about a friend and this is how he described him to me he said this man has the looks of a greek god it's a great thing he's an athlete who won a silver medal he's an indian by the way i think at the asian games or olympics looks of a greek god athletic he is the head of a multinational banking firm of over some 15 to 17 countries pinnacle of business success right now he is vulnerable emotionally right now he is sensitive to anyone who will offer him hope he is humble you know why because he is battling cancer his looks his influence his power his achievements human power has met its limits you see friends real life true life fullness of life eternal life no one can give it to us but the author of life and so jesus comes as the author of life in human form the source of life and he says listen the words i have spoken to you bring god's life giving spirit very quickly how does this mean what does this mean how does it work you may say pastor but this is all okay how does it apply to me let me quickly illustrate in a few areas salvation how does the spirit how does god deliver life to us in at a point of need the word and the spirit work together you come into a care group meeting you come into a service and uh, you're looking for life eternal life and uh, the worship or some part of the service have you begin to feel something you experience god's spirit either your emotions are stirred or you feel a peace you've not received life yet because you need to hear the word the word is a promise an invitation jesus died for your sins and he wants to give you the gift of eternal life 
But the condition is you must bow your knee to him as Lord and Savior. If you confess with your mouth, he's Lord, you will be saved. And at that moment, the spirit and the word work together. And the Bible says you experience what is called the new birth inside. Now here's the thing. If you hear the word and the spirit is not at work, it will not move you at all. Say, what is this nonsense? Jesus died 2,000 years ago. How does that affect me today? You can experience the spirit, even be healed, but you're not understood because you haven't had the word. Salvation becomes your experience when you hear the word, the promise of eternal life, and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. You say yes to Jesus, you experience the new birth. Got it? That's life. At least one installment. The main installment. Another illustration, guidance. And I'm going to illustrate this negatively, okay? Now you're a child of God and you want to obey the Lord, follow the Lord, wonderful. You come to all the services, <coughs> your 10 care group and all of that. But you're weak in the word. You don't know God's, what God is saying in his word. So you have this government job and somebody offers you this hefty bribe. You're thinking, you know what? This pastor is telling in this uh, church, we have this need, that need. Okay, so what? And you pray and you feel the prompting that you can take this bribe so you can give more money to God and to the church. Say, Pastor, sorry I received this money as a bribe, but I'm giving it to God. Some of you are smiling already. At that point, we have to wave the word of God at you and say, no. The word says, no. Another illustration. My wife doesn't love God as much as I do. She's hindering me from following the Lord. So I prayed. The Spirit spoke to me to leave because there's this other spiritual woman, single woman. She doesn't have a husband. And together we can climb the spiritual pinnacle for God. Pastor, I'm sure I have fasted and prayed. Sorry, the word says. Got it? I can go on and on and illustrate that. So, different areas of guidance. The Holy Spirit and the Word must go together. Let me illustrate it also from in the broad area of spiritual growth. We want to grow in God. Someone is very strong in the Word. Reads the Word. Studies the Word. Quotes the Word. <laughs> and we send the Word to others. It's a wonderful thing. We have a scripture for every situation. You come to breakfast, he has a quote. You come to lunch, and, you know, she will throw the word at the children. Wonderful, isn't it? Except that the person has an uncontrollable temper. Or worse, or equally bad, an uncontrollable tongue, you know? Gossip, criticism. It's, it's, you come close and you... There's a lot of Bible they quote. But Jesus said with the same mouth, you quote the Bible. But poison... You come close, there's a lot of bitterness, jealousy. Here's the thing, you're strong in the word, but you've not allowed the spirit to give life to the word in you. There is no life change. Never, never forget the greatest opponents of Jesus what great Bible scholars call the Pharisees. This was their problem. Word. 
without spirit. And at the other extreme, there are people who are strong in the spirit. They enjoy worship, and you can see it. And by the way, you can, you can see me on the stage. I love exuberant worship, okay? It's not to stifle you. And they're constantly receiving messages from God, visions and gifts, and, you know, they're praying for the sick, people are healed. They prophesy. When they open their mouth to pray, heaven comes down. Same problem. You go out, wrong attitudes, behavior makes you cringe. I think, you know, it's simply... Illustrates what I'm telling you this morning. Strong in the spirit, but they have not taken the word of God seriously. They've not applied it to their hearts. There is no heart change. The spirit and the word together is what gives the power to change. So when you cry to God, give me life, God says you must take both doses together. Many years ago, wise man of God gave me this slogan and I shared it with you. He said, you know, if you have word, 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 minus spirit, you will dry up. You become a dead legalistic Pharisee. And incidentally, I've been in a Bible college for a long time, especially those who study a lot of the Bible, Dr. Sarkar, must tell our students this can dry up. But on the other hand, spirit, 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 you know, without word, you can blow up. I'm telling you, you can do crazy things if you don't have, you're grounded in the word. It's very dangerous, in fact. Just experience led. You're not grounded in the word, but when you have word and spirit, like two wings of a dove, you will, you will grow up. As we bring this message to a close, friends, let me just quickly wind up by saying, as you're seated here this morning, perhaps you're facing some threat to life or happiness. I know you will. We, all the time we do, because we're surrounded by the forces of death. There's brokenness all around us. There's brokenness within us. And if you are at this point just struggling let me encourage you to turn to the psalmist's prayer. In fact, let's read it together. As he cries out to God, let's read it. He says, this is, my, everybody please read it, okay? This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Another place he says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Plead my cause. Redeem me. You know what redemption is? When there's something lost, you regain it. Plead my cause and redeem me. Come on, give me life according to your promise. Thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata. We hope you would stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead.